Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Start acting like a wife. Come on. The gifts of the Spirit were your wedding gift. Come on, somebody. You're the bride. You're the bride right now. Let me come back here before I chase all these rabbits. But we're still on the same trail. We're in the right spot. He looks across. He said, then the disciples look on on another, doubting of whom he spake. But now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom, one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter therefore beckoned to him that he should ask who it should be of him that he spake. And he then lying on Jesus' breast says to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, he it is to whom I shall give a sop when I have dipped it. And when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And after the sop, Satan entered into him and then said, Jesus unto him, that thou doest do quickly. No man, now no man at the table knew for what intent he spake this unto him. For some of them thought, because G Judas had the bag, that Jesus said unto him, buy those things that we have need of against the feast. Or that he should give something to the poor. He then having received the sop, went immediately out and it was night. Therefore, when he was going out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God be glorified in him, God shall also glorify in himself, and shall straightway glorify him. Little children, you yet a little while, and I am with you. You shall seek me, and as I said unto the Jews, whether I go, you cannot come. So now I say to you a new commandment. Watch this. A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another. As I have loved you that you also love one another. But this shall all men, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have loved one to another. And so Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, whither thou goest, Jesus answered, whither I go, thou canst not follow me now, but thou shalt follow me afterwards. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow thee now? I will lay down my life for your sake. And Jesus answered him, wilt thou lay down thy life for my sake? Verily I say to you that the cock shall not crow till thou hast denied me thrice now let me stop a minute before i pick up the next verse because the chapters are not broken but i want you to see something here he's at the table and he is giving exactly the sop that first corinthians 10 or 11 that i just read the same night in which he was betrayed he took this is the event that he was talking about in first corinthians chapter 11. the same night in which he was betrayed he took the bread and he blessed he said this is my body that was broken for you see i'm convinced that even if judas had realized that the death that the, the death of Jesus was enough for him also he would have never went and hanged himself see I, I believe if, if Judas would have you see when Judas comes back into the the temple and he throws the 30 pieces of silver back on the table and said I betrayed innocent blood the Bible said that he went out and hanged himself when if he would have waited three hours the hanging of Jesus would have been his hanging how many know there's so many times we've been taught in the church to go hang yourself, go kill yourself, go get rid of, you know. If you could have gotten rid of who you were and Adam, you'd have done it a long time ago. What he wants you to do is come back and realize there is a spirit that betrays. Matter of fact, it calls it the son of perdition. There's a spirit that betrays us when you think you've got to earn your own salvation by your hanging. The hanging of Jesus was enough. That's good stuff. That's worth clapping about. And then Pete looks across the table. He says, Lord, man, I, I got your back, man. 
I told you the other night about my friend who came from an Italian background. He's probably one of the most loyal friends I have, but because he was in the, in the mob, you know, they kind of learned loyalty a different way. But I'll never forget one night, him and I were in Pontiac, Michigan, and, and we were at this restaurant, and they had these uh, bowls that were made from, like, bread, and it had clam chowder in it. It's making my mouth water now, you know. And the pastor had left us, and it's just him and I sat at the table, and I looked across the table at him, and he, just him and I at the table. I said, one of you is going to betray me. And he took his bread and dipped it in my bowl. He said, is it I, master? <laughs> Hallelujah. Always, I always brace myself when somebody says, I got you back, you know. <laughs> Hallelujah. But in the reality of it is, is that Pete looks across the table. He says, Lord, I'll die with you. And Jesus looks at him. And I think Jesus knew at that moment, Pete means what he says. How I many know you and I can think we got what it takes? But there are moments when we fail. Am I talking to anybody in the room? See, I, I think I am because from the pulpit to the, to, to the door, how many know we have had a whole lot of human failure in our lives? And if our, our, the basis upon which we receive is based on how good I am and not based on examining the lamb, then I am disqualified. And I got to the place growing up in classical Pentecost where they told me how bad I was all the time. Too. I got to the place where I said, I love God, but he evidently don't love me. And I'm going to go to hell in a handbasket. If I'm going to go to hell in a handbasket, at least I'm going to enjoy the ride. Now, I mean, there's a lot of people who think like that right now. And the reality of it is they don't just go to hell. They create hell and they live in it because they, the choices they make, come on, have... Come on, have released for them not the days of heaven on earth, but hell on earth. But see, you can for one moment turn and say, I'm going to turn from this, and I'm going to turn towards the Lord. Because see, even when Adam ran from God in the garden, he said, God, I'm naked, I'm ashamed, and I need to hide, and I love this. God catches him. And God said to him, who told you? You was naked. I could hear God say, you was naked day before yesterday. It didn't bother me then. But now it's bothering you. Why? Because your adversary is telling you that you need to run from God rather than run to Him. All I'm trying to do is slow up, tell you, slow up and let Him catch you. Come on, God is pursuing you. He relentlessly pursues us every moment because He wants to love us. It's like our children, man. He, God is interested. We think about what we lost in the garden, but we never think about what God lost. God is looking for a relationship. And Jesus says to Pete, he said, listen, man, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me. But look what it says in the next chapter. I want you to understand that chapters and verses was added by the translator. So there's really no break in this story. Jesus is saying to Pete in the last verse, I know you mean well, son. I know you think you can do this. But before the rooster crows, you're going to betray me three times. Next verse, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And he begins to say to Pete, see, this is the whole context. You're going to fail. You're going to blow it big time because, number one, you still haven't received the indwelling Holy Spirit. So in your human strength, you can't do this. 
But the next chapter, he starts talking about the comforter's going to come and take up his abode within you. And you're going to be able to come where I'm at ultimately. But you can't come now because you don't have anything inside of you except your own tenacity and your own self-help and your own willpower. But son, as much as you've got, you're going to need something better and bigger than your own abilities. You're going to need the Holy Ghost living inside of you to walk this out. Amen. You're going to need the power. See, that's why I believe in preaching the power of the Holy Ghost. You need the Holy Ghost. You need the Holy Ghost and power to come upon you and empower you. And you know what, Pete, who denies Jesus here is just 50 days later stands up on the day of Pentecost and he preaches with such boldness that 3,000 people get added to the church. But I can see Pete. He's at the fire and they said, uh, you're one of his. And he's like, I am not. And he starts cussing. I don't know. It could have been that, you know, he, 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 he stands up for Jesus at the garden. I mean, when, the, when the, the, the servant of the high priest Malchus comes, Peter rips his sword out, man, and cuts the ear off of this dude. Can you imagine this? I mean, he's ready to go. He's ready to, let's rumble. Let's get it on here. And he, cut, he cuts the ear off of a, the servant of Malchus, the high priest. See, I think sometimes well-meaning apostles have cut the ears off of God's people. Let, let, let that bounce I said, I think sometimes well-meaning apostles have cut the ear off of God's people. But Jesus stoops down and grabs this guy's ear and knocks the dust off of it and puts it back on. You know what I hear the Spirit saying? He that hath that ear, let him hear what the Spirit has to say. Because under the Old Covenant, you have a sword. In the New Covenant, you have a plow. Come on. Under the Old Covenant, you have a spear. In the New Covenant, you have a pruning hook. Come on. We need to beat our swords and weapons into plowshare. The victory's already been won. The war's over. Somebody help me preach a little bit. Jesus has won the victory. Hallelujah. And he wants to disconnect your ear from the realm of dust and reconnect it. I always wonder about stories like this. I have to wonder if this guy had the guts to arrest Jesus after that. Can you imagine him on your ear and then the guy have to go, I got to arrest you, man. I don't, could you have done that? Yeah, I don't know if I could have arrested Jesus after he put my ear back on. I don't wonder what he told his wife when he went home that night, you know. I was arrested this dude. One of his boys cut my ear off. He grabbed it, put it back on. I wonder what happened to Barabbas. You know, there's no story. I wonder what the story is. Maybe the story's not there because it's your story. Maybe the story's not there because you've got to write What are you going to do when Jesus takes the, the guilty, goes free, while the innocent is sacrificed? I wonder what Barabbas did with his life after that. I wonder if he kept on the same lifestyle that got him in prison before. I'd like to think that Jesus releasing him into freedom would have turned his life around. Let me, let me, let me, let me. But, but here's Peter. He's denied Jesus, and the third time he denies the Lord the rooster crows, and Jesus probably had just walked out and caught his eye. And Peter drops his head in such condemnation and guilt. And the rooster crows. Now what we usually do is we preach that the rooster crows to rat Peter out. Say, see there, I told you so. What a failure you are. But see, if you've ever lived on a farm, we used to have a big old red rooster that was about this tall. That thing was mean. We finally cooked him for chicken and dumplings. <laughs> Had to cook him almost all day. He was so tough, he was mean. But that dude would get by my window at the first sight of dawn. And that dude would start to crow and holler until I'm ready to shoot out the window at that dude and kill him. Because he, he was like an alarm clock. You say, why are you telling us this, Dr. House? Because what the rooster did was he wasn't ratting Peter out. He was announcing a new day. 
when the rooster crows, I want you to hear the rooster crow this morning because it's not announcing your faults, your failures. It's announcing a new day. Come on, somebody. He's announcing yesterday you couldn't do it because you didn't have the Holy Ghost. But let not your heart be troubled. It's a brand new day and the rooster is crowing. I want you to think on Easter Sunday morning when you come into this house, he has arisen from the dead. My sin has been forgiven. It's a brand new day. What I could not do on my own, he did it for me. Hallelujah. Now he lives inside of me. He's a present help in the time of trouble. It is expedient for you that I go. If I don't go, the comforter won't come, but I'll send you another helper. Last but not least, let me just tell this story, and I'm going to get out your road here this morning. There's a story, I'm going to turn to it, in the book of Samuel of a man by the name of Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth was the... Uh, he was the son of Jonathan, the great-grandson, or the grandson, I believe it was, of Saul. And when Saul was killed, Mephibosheth was dropped by a midwife and became crippled in his feet. Is there anybody in this room that's been dropped by somebody? And it might have crippled you a little bit. Come on, religion dropped me, crippled me. Come on, somebody. Midwives that were in charge of making me grow up and take care of me, literally dropped me to the point where I became crippled in my feet. And can I tell you, I could not walk this thing out. Come on, somebody. I was crippled in my feet, and I could not walk. And I was in the wrong lineage. And, and, and Mephibosheth lived in a place called Lodibar, which means scattering shame. He was ashamed of his family name. He was the last surviving uh, descendant of Jonathan. And one day, King David, who's a picture of the greater son of David, King Jesus, was sitting in his palace. Man, I feel the Holy Ghost in here. And he said to his staff, is there anybody left of the household of Saul that I may do good unto him? And one of his staff came to him and said, there's a little crippled boy down in Lodabar by the name of Mephibosheth. And he's the last surviving relative of Jonathan. But you see, he was down in Lodibar hoping that nobody would ever remember he's alive because every king that had ever existed before would kill every one of the dynasty that preceded them so that there would never be an insurrection and nobody would ever try to usurp the throne. So he's down there in Lodibar hoping nobody will ever remember where I'm at. I am hiding out. I'm just going to keep my cool and stay away from the... You hear where I'm coming from? But one day the thump of horses hooves come. And the dust of the chariots from King David show up on his front porch. And the officer says to Mephibosheth, the king has requested your presence in the throne room today. My, I feel the Holy Ghost in here. You know why? Because the Holy Ghost sent me here to tell somebody, the king has requested your presence in the throne room. The king has requested an audience with you, a personal audience with you this morning. Mephibosheth probably thought, oh, this is the big one, Myrtle. This is the day I dreaded. I, you know, he probably told the guy driving, don't drive fast. Don't break the speed limit. I am not in a hurry. He walks into the palace of the king thinking he's doomed and he's done because he probably sat under the same legalistic preachers I did who told me that if I ever got in the presence of the king, he would kill me. I was disqualified if I ate and drank unworthily. I was doomed. I was done for it. I went too far. God could never do anything for me. And when he walks into the presence of King David, King David looks at him and says, 
Well, he, well, he first he walks into the presence of King David and he falls down in front of the king and he says, what am I? What am I but a dead dog in the presence of the king? Right. And David grabs him by the hand and says, son, I didn't bring you here to kill you. I brought you here to give you back all your father's inheritance. I came here to do good to you. Because what you don't know, son, is I've got a covenant with your daddy. King David is a covenant-keeping God. Remembers his covenant. He honors his word above his name. King David said, I made a covenant with your daddy that my seed and his seed, and I didn't bring you here to die or to kill you. I brought you here to give you back all your father's inheritance. And furthermore, son, you're not even going to have to work your own fields. I'm going to give you a servants, and they're going to take your fields. They're going to bring the, the spoil in here. The only thing I'm requesting of you, Mephibosheth, is that you come to my table every day, and you sit at my table like one of the king's sons. Can I say it like this? See, God ain't even requesting you a performance-based religious system. He's given you the Holy Ghost to work the field for you. Uh, I don't want to get controversial here, but when I went to see that movie, The Shack Man, and they was working in that garden out there, if you've seen the movie, I, I, don't, I don't want to get anybody's fight here. But man, when I saw that the Holy Ghost out there working in that field, pulling out the weeds and stuff, I thought, man, what an incredible picture that is because that's God working in my garden to get rid of the roots and the, the bad things and all the stuff that's messed our lives up. Hallelujah. So the Holy Spirit was sent to work in the field to bring in all the spoils. And he said to Mephibosheth, here's all I want you to do. I want you to come to my table and sit at my table all the days of your life. And you're going to live in the palace and you're going to live like one of my sons. That's all I'm asking. I promise you, now this is not in the text, but if you allow me just a little poetic liberty, I promise you King David looked over at his staff, his servants and his sons, and he said to them, I have invited Mephibosheth to the table. I have invited Mephibosheth to live because of my covenant with his daddy. And when he comes to the table, I don't want none of you to make fun of him. Nor do I want you to look under the table and point out his crippled feet. Come on, somebody. He said, furthermore, I don't want you to look under the table at all. The focus is not what is on under the table or how crippled he is. The focus is on what's on the table. What's on the table? This is my body. It was broken for all your crippledness. Because here's the issue. Here's the issue. If you look under the table, what you're going to find out, if you look under the table, is that everybody at the table is crippled. That's right. That's true. I feel the Holy Spirit sitting down this place this morning. Everybody at this table is crippled. From this pulpit to the door, we need a Savior. So I admonish you to look at what's on the table. And the next time you have an opportunity to take communion, I don't care if you've been a dirty, rotten scoundrel. Just double up on how much of it you take. Except you eat my flesh and drink my blood. Don't run from the house of God. I don't care how bad you are. Get yourself right to the house of God. The house of God ought to be like a hospital. Those that are whole do not need a physician. 
Stand on your feet all over this place this morning. Hallelujah. And I say to those of you who think you're holy and don't need what's on the table, stop looking under the table. Stop pointing out the crippled feet. Stop feeling like you failed. The rooster has crowed. He's announced a brand new day. That's what this whole Easter season is about, man. See, every other religion is about performance. It's, 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 all, it's all man-centered. If you're preaching, see, if you're preaching me, you're, you're preaching the wrong man. If you're preaching, and look, I, I, let me say, you know, people misunderstand me sometimes. I'm not saying that, our, that, that your life shouldn't change. I'm just trying to tell you what causes it to change. Everybody tells you what you ought to do, but nobody ever gives you the antidote for your problems. The antidote for the problems is you can eat your way out of the problem. You can feed on what Jesus did in his redemptive work. You can eat enough lamb that you'll leave the bondage you're in. Second thing is you can drink. Just think of Revelation 21 where he said, And God shall wipe all tears off of all faces. And about the next verse he said, Let him that's thirsty drink. And the Lord said to me, It's what you drink that wipes the tears off of your face. I have a whole series called There's Something in the Water. I believe there's one of them out there probably today. There's something in the water because what the Lord said to me was simply this. Tell my people they got a drinking problem. I said, what are you saying, Lord? He said they need to drink from the water of life freely without cost. This is not about what it cost you. Man, I'm telling you some good news. It's about what it cost him comes to a woman at the well she has wrecked her life she's been married to six husbands five she's married five husbands and the one she's with is not her husband six that speaks of the number of man Adam she listen she had experienced everything the Adam family had to offer I did a message years ago I called it the Adams family values and found out the Adam family don't have no values But Jesus comes to her and says, listen, listen, honey, I'm not going to point out all of your weakness or failure. I'm just going to tell you, I'm going to give you something to drink. And when you get a taste of this, you're going to lose your appetite for everything else that's drove you. You're going to, you're going to drink of, she, listen, she came to a well to get a drink and she found a well sitting on top of the well. Jesus said, listen, I'm going to give you a drink, but not only am I going to give you a drink. See, she came to a well. She found a well sitting on a well, and she left there and became a well. She ran into the city and said, come see a man told me everything I ever did. Jesus said, if you drink this, if you drink this, you're going to lose your appetite for everything that flows out of Jacob's well. Come to the water. Revelation 22 said, now I saw a clear river, a pure river, clear as a crystal. And it was flowing out of a slain lamb. Powerful imagery there. He's simply saying it's flowing from the finished work of the cross. It flows from a slain lamb. This pure river has no bitterness, no wormwood, no frogs, no mariba, no unclean spirits. It's a pure river, clear as a crystal. What he's saying, I'm saying it's about eating and drinking and what we feed on. So when you examine yourself, examine yourself not to disqualify yourself, but to examine yourself and so 
let him eat. Because once you get examined and you realize I am qualified, I am accepted in the beloved on the basis of what he did, then you'll come to the table and say, I'm going to feed on this. Let not your heart be troubled. Listen, don't look at your failures this morning. Can I take a moment to give an altar call? Is it all right if I do that? I think we're all right this morning. You know, I feel like as I preach this morning, this has been different than I did Friday, Saturday. I think a little bit anyway. But I really feel like the Holy Spirit's tugging on people today. You might be in here, and, and maybe, I don't know, maybe you know the Lord. Maybe uh, maybe you, you've never received the Lord because you didn't think you were qualified. Maybe you felt like the woman in the Song of Solomon. But you were disqualified. Can I tell you that the king has requested your presence today at his table? And as they sing something, could you give me some kind of background music or a little bit? And as they do that, if you're here this morning and you say, I want to respond to that, I'm coming to the king's table, I want you to step out of your chair, join me here for a moment. Because it's not about achieving, it's about receiving. Simply receiving all that he has for you. You say, Lord, I've failed, I've failed miserably, my life has fallen apart, but the king has requested, he, he said, drag your crippled self to my table this morning. Because I'm here not to reject you, but to embrace you. All over this room, people are responding. And I, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Come quickly, we're going to try not to make this lengthy, but I, I really feel like the Lord's touching people's lives this morning. Come to the table, come to the table, come and dine, the master calls. Amen. You know what's amazing is even when Jesus was resurrected and he comes to Peter, Peter denied him three times and then Jesus said, Peter, do you love me? He said, I love you, Lord. And Jesus asked him again, do you love me? He said, I love you, Lord. He asked him again, do you love me? He said, I love you, Lord. He gave him three times to say, I love you. That's how good Jesus is. And when he was raised from the dead, he said, go tell my disciples and go tell Peter. He called Peter by name and said, listen, hallelujah, I'm not holding against you. Stretch your hand towards all these folks in the front today because we're coming to the king's table. I believe there's something happening in the realm of the spirit for your life right now. And all over this room, I believe addictions are being broken. Strongholds are being broken. Relationships are being healed. God's going to put some marriages back together. I hear that this morning in my spirit. I feel like the Lord is saying some addictions are broken this morning. The power and the strangling hold that addiction has had over your life is being broken right now as you come to the table of the Lord. So Lord, we respond this morning. We come to the table. As you've seen these that have come forward this morning, we respond by saying yes. You see our hearts. And we're simply putting ourselves, listen, to receive from you. I used to give altar calls and say, come to Jesus and give him your life. And then I realized we don't have much of a life to give him. So now I say, come to Jesus and receive his life. Because that's a better deal. So right now, all over this room and in this front, let's receive his life. Father, in Jesus' name, as we stretch your hands this way, everybody in this congregation. There's some still sitting back there. You're in your heart. You come to the table. It's just not just an act of coming forward, but you're receiving. All you got to do is receive this. Jesus is saying, "Come and come and die. Come to my table. Come to my table. Put your crippled feet under the table. That's not the issue. And receive. So in Jesus' name, Lord, we say we receive. We receive everything you have for us. We will no longer feel disqualified. We will no longer feel 
like we're not worthy. But we will eat of the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus. And we receive it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. I'm very excited to announce the release of my newest book. It is titled, From Law to Grace, A Kingdom Paradigm Shift. In this book, we talk about how the gospel is not about a law you have to keep. It is about receiving a life that will keep you. It is not about living this life out of fear. It is about living a life of faith. It is not about rules. It's about a relationship with a loving Father. It is about moving from the old covenant government of condemnation to the new covenant government of affirmation. It is about living life as a citizen of the kingdom right now.